0: Buddy, welcome back to the Insightful Thinker's Podcast. Greta Gerwig's 2019 film, Little Women, illustrates the challenges women face while navigating a society that makes them feel little. Since for the 19th century woman, marriage is deemed more important than committing to talent and interests, it becomes difficult for women not to allow societal expectations and stereotypes to limit their dreams women are sometimes forced to live despite their nature to survive in a world where they are not meant to live doing what they desire. So often, and contrary to society's view, what women desire is not only love or only any other singular thing. Gerwig makes the point that women are multifaceted and have complex interests and desires, far from being unidimensional with a desire only for marriage. These complex desires and interests manifest uniquely in every woman. Therefore, rather than neglecting these unique experiences, their stories should be told. Sometimes it is by giving credence to these stories in writing and in art that their importance is conferred, making them not so little anymore. Tune into last week's episode to... Here's some background on this film and its setting and the main idea of the movie. That's what we discussed last week. This week, we're going to talk about some of the other ideas that were scattered throughout this movie. And that's what we're going to cover today. So first is the idea of society making women feel little and feelings of inferiority and insecurity being created in these women, despite their talents, not due to them not having talent or um, them, uh, them not having these abilities, but because society makes them feel this way. So we have one little moment in the film where Amy looks enviously at a man's painting of Déjeuner sur l'herbe. Um, she's, she's painting next to these other men and she looks back at hers and she doesn't think hers is good. In reality, hers is actually a lot better and it looks a lot more similar to Manet's original painting. So this is the idea of she doesn't even understand her own talents because she's a woman. She's been kind of made to feel this way all her life, that women aren't capable of these types of things. So she looks at the man's poor uh, painting of Dejeuner sur l'herbe and, and she envies that, even though hers is actually better. On um, March, she actually says to Amy, she's she played a role in in giving Amy the idea that she needs to marry well. And she says to Amy early on when Amy's a kid, she says, you must marry well and save your family. That's all I wanted to say to you. You can go finish your little painting. So here is her her painting is, is made to feel little and her talent and what she loves is made to be secondary to marriage and this is what can foster these feelings of inferiority and insecurity in these women uh, these things that make them feel little in a society that kind of makes them feel that way because they can't bring their talents to the forefront it's marriage first over your little painting as Aunt march says to amy joe says to her sisters at one point she says i started something but i don't think it's very good she's talking about the book that she started it's just about our little life. Who will be interested in a story of domestic struggles and joys? It doesn't have any real importance. Amy says, but maybe we don't see those things as important because people don't write about them. Joe says, no, writing doesn't confer importance. It reflects it. But Amy says, I'm not sure. Perhaps writing will make them more important. So here, first of all, Joe is kind of underestimating... Uh, the amount that people will will value and en- enjoy stories of her life. She calls it, oh, just 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 my little life. It's about our little life. Who would be interested in a story like this? And Joe doesn't think people will be interested in this because women's stories really aren't told. And Joe thinks that if things aren't written about, then it must mean that they're not important. She thinks that the importance of these things are depend purely dependent on how much they're written about if these stories of domestic struggles are not written about well they must not be important so why should I think my story called little women will be important but Amy says well maybe you as a writer have the power to change this maybe if you write about them they, it'll make them more important you're the writer so go ahead and write about these things don't don't write off your experiences as just little things. But this is the idea of society making these women feel little and feel like their experiences are small. Jo says to Mr. Dashwood, still kind of insecure about her writing, she says, enclosed are the first few chapters of a piece I've only begun working on. It could suit as a story for young people, but I think it's probably quite boring. However, I'm sending it to you just in case it has something of value, though I doubt it. So look how she's doubting herself. She's doubting her abilities as a writer um, because you're not supposed to be a brilliant writer as as a woman in this society. We're going to talk soon about how Amy falls prey to this. Um, and as a matter of fact, let's talk about it right now. She says to Laurie at one point in the movie, uh, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. So it's almost as if just being a woman doesn't allow you to be a poet. Even the most ambitious Amy falls prey to this societally imposed idea of women not being capable of mastery in any domain. So I'm not a poet, I'm just a woman. So it's like almost you like you can't be great. And even Amy falls prey to this. And she's perhaps the most ambitious out of all her sisters. Maybe you could argue Joe as well, but, um, it's difficult to, to feel like you are able to do these things when society doesn't make it seem so. Joe says to Lori, she says, "'My father volunteered in the Union Army, "'and I wanted to go fight with him. "'I can't get over my disappointment in being a girl.'" So look at the challenge for women at this time. It's simply due to your sex, you feel disappointment because you, you don't have the opportunities to go to do these things you like. The, this idea is really talked about the most in my favorite scene. I touched on my favorite scene in, in part one a little bit. Uh, one of the best movie scenes I've ever seen. It has so many ideas in there. And it, it's the Paris art studio scene between Amy and Lori. And this really gets at a few ideas, but let's talk first about how it gets at the idea of society making women feel little and fostering feelings of inferiority and insecurity despite their talents. So... Amy says to Lori, she says, Joe is in New York being a writer, and I'm a failure. Lori says, well, that's quite a statement to make at 20. Amy says, Rome took all the vanity out of me, and Paris made me realize I'd never be a genius. I'm giving up all my foolish artistic hopes. Lori says, why should you? You have so much talent and energy, but Amy says, talent isn't genius, and no amount of energy can make it so. I want to be great or nothing. I won't be a commonplace dober. Dober is like a crude or inartistic painter. So don't intend, so I don't intend to try anymore. Laurie says, but what women are allowed into the club of geniuses anyway? Amy says, the Brontes. The Brontes were uh, well-known female poets and novelists from the early 1800s. And, and Laurie says, and who declares genius? And Amy says, well, men, I suppose. Laurie says, they're cutting down the competition. Amy says, I don't think that male or female... Uh, I'm a, I'm just a middling talent. Lori says, now that you've given up all your foolish artistic hopes, what are you going to do with your life? Amy says, well, I can polish up my other talents and be an ornament to society. Look at how, just like Joe kind of underestimated her her talents and oh i doubt my work is good and but give it a read mr dashwood i doubt there's any importance to my little stories amy says i'm a failure even at 20 she says she writes off her artistic hopes and let's not forget her art was amazing she pretty much completely replicated dejeuner sur labe um but she writes off her artistic hopes as being foolish and she says i'm of middling talent man or woman And the reason she feels this way is because you're not allowed into the club of geniuses as a woman. And Laurie brings up the idea that men are the ones who declare other men to be geniuses and they leave out women almost to cut down the competition of, of who can be a genius. So... It it makes Amy feel like, so why should I really pursue any endeavor seriously if I'm never going to be allowed into this club of geniuses anyway? It makes you feel like you're not even talented. You can't dream quite as big when you're a woman. So these are the ideas of society making these women feel little, feel insecure, not because they don't have these talents, but because society makes them think that either they don't have these talents or that their talents should not be pursued. The second half of this scene fits into this theme that we'll discuss now. Uh, and this is part of the reason why this scene is so amazing. I talked about in the first episode. Um, it, it does <laughs> foster those emotions inside of, you, inside of you, but just before this, there's such a great conversation that has so many ideas in it. And this is another idea throughout the movie that this scene really does a good job in conveying, is that women are sometimes forced to live despite their nature, to survive in a world where they're not meant to live doing what they desire. Paris Art Studio, 1869, Laurie and Amy. Amy says, I've always known that I would marry rich. Why should I be ashamed of that? Laurie says, there's nothing to be ashamed of as long as you love him. Amy says, well, I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't just something that happens to a person. Laurie says, I think the poets might disagree. And this is where Amy says, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, I have no way to make money. Not enough to earn a living and support my family. And even if I did have my own money, which I don't, it would belong to my husband the minute we were married. If we had children, they would belong to him and not me. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition, because it is. It may not be for you, but it certainly is for me. So look at how Amy, who wants to pursue these these artistic hopes. Naturally, that's in her nature to to be a great painter. She said that in in the movie from an early age. She said, my wish is to be a great painter and to travel the world. And this is what Amy really wants to do. But she also has to marry well due to necessity or else she can't really make a living in the world. So she has to almost live despite her nature to be a great artist because it's not really possible to, to be that as a woman in her day. So she has to do these things out of necessity only because she's a woman and men may not have to do these same things out of necessity. As a woman at that time, it was often not possible to survive without marrying well and having talents certainly did not confer wealth for a woman, for men maybe it did and they could actually use their talents, but women they weren't able to. So this is where Amy is telling Laurie, listen, Marriage may not be an economic proposition for you, but it is for me. And you know what? I, I almost have to choose to love this man and this and this is how I have to get along with my life because there's no other option. It's an economic proposition and just by way of being a woman, you have to go through these things. You have to live despite your your exact nature. You can't do every single thing that you want to do. Another part, uh, conversation between Joe and her mother, she says, uh, to her mother after harboring anger towards Amy for a long time, leading to Amy almost drowning. She says to her mother, what's wrong with me? I've made so many resolutions and written sad notes and cried over my sins, but it doesn't seem to help. When I get in a passion, I get so savage. I could hurt anyone and enjoy it. Her mother says, you remind me of myself. And Joe says, but you're never angry. And her mom says, I'm angry nearly every day of my life. I'm not patient by nature, but with nearly 40 years of effort, I've learned not to let it get the best of me. And Joe says, I'll do the same then. Marmee says, I hope you do a great deal better than me. There are some natures that are too noble to curve, too lofty to bend. This idea of the nature. So this conversation kind of shows the difficulty of living contrary to your nature as a woman, which is so often too noble to curve and too lofty to bend. So it kind of shows as a woman how you kind of have to curb your nature, even if it is too noble to curve and too lofty to bend. And you can't you may not be able to as a woman be able to show your anger because women they are more likely perhaps to be shunned and and are at a greater risk of of facing negative consequences than men if they show their anger. So you have to curb your nature as a woman, no matter how hard that is. Um, Marmee kind of shows this in another part where she's crying as she walks into her home, but she kind of wipes off her tears and takes a deep breath before she goes to see her, her children. It's kind of like the idea of Although she's angry every day of her life, she has to kind of hide aspects of her character and live despite her nature to kind of survive in the world. And she's kind of been trained doing that. So now she kind of like hides her tears when, when she goes into to see her little women, to see her daughters. As a woman, you kind of have to live despite your nature. This is also in a scene between a conversation between Dashwood and Joe. Dashwood, the head of the publishing company, who he's asking Joe uh, who does she marry in the book? Like, how does this main character as a woman go through the book without getting married? And Joe says, she doesn't marry either of them. Dashwood says, no, that won't work at all. Joe says, well, the whole book, she says she doesn't want to marry. Dashwood says, who cares? Girls want to see a woman married, not consistent. The right ending is the one that sells. If you end your delightful book with your heroine a spinster, no one will buy it. It won't be worth printing. And Joe says, well, I suppose marriage has always been an economic proposition, even in fiction. Dashwood said, says, it's romance. Joe says, it's mercenary. Dashwood says, just end it that way, will you? So the right ending is the one that sells. And this is similar to how the supposed right ending for women in real life is the one that almost sells or provides her with money. So marriage is an economic proposition in real life and in fiction. This really gets at the living despite one's nature as a woman, because Joe has to change what she desires for the ending of the book just to get it published. Her desires, even for her own book, are are they can't fully come out because they're under the confines of marriage being an economic proposition, even in fiction. She says it's mercenary. Uh, where Dashwood says it's just romance. Joe says it's mercenary. It's purely for money. It's she has to do these things kind of just for money to even get it published because she can't let her own characters shine in the way she wants it. And she even says at another point in the movie, I'd rather be a free spinster and paddle my own canoe. A spinster is like a woman who doesn't get married. And that's who Joe is. But she has to change this and, and and change the ending of her book, change the free spinster in her book, who is her, it's modeled after her, just to get the book published. Louisa May Alcott actually had to do the exact same thing, uh, with the, apparently with the original, with her original book, just to get it published. Uh, she had to marry, she had to make Joe get married, even though it was against her best wishes, but that's just what she had to do. So what's funny in this scene is right when Joe agrees to have the character married in the book, it shows her in real life falling in love with friedrich and the rest of the movie actually plays out in in that fiction that she had to incorporate just to get the book published this is really complex here but i hope i can communicate this fairly clearly so this is getting at the idea of marriage as an economic proposition both in the real world and in fiction so female characters are relegated to marriage or death as dashwood says um he says uh If you're going to have a a woman as the main character, make sure she's married or dead by the end. So female characters are relegated to marriage or death in fiction, but also in real life in a sense. Women are under these constraints either way. So whether the ending of the movie really happens, or if it's just a fictional tale that Joe tells to get in the book, it doesn't really matter because it's just the way that things almost have to go for Joe as a woman in that day and age. the movie is almost blurring the lines between fiction and in real life where either way, uh, the woman kind of, she's under these constraints. So whether that actually happens in Joe's life, where she gets married to Friedrich and has the family, or it just happens in the book, it doesn't really matter because that's almost the way it has to go for a female character in a fictional. Novel or a a woman in real life. So it kind of blurs the lines there. You're forced to adapt as a woman in society that confines you, even if your nature is too noble to curve and too lofty to bend. So you're still confined and you're forced to bend your nature. Joe's forced to change what she wants out of this, out of her book, just to get it published. And she may have even been forced to live uh, a different ending, a different life, just based on. The way it goes for women, you need to marry well. So she may have had to actually marry Friedrich uh, in her real life. Also kind of talking about this theme of having to change your nature as a woman and live despite your nature. Joe says, my students need me. Money is the end and aim of my mercenary existence. My sister Amy is in Paris. And until she marries someone obscenely wealthy, it's up to me to keep the family afloat. So this is like talking about the money and, and and the necessity to make a living, even if it's not ideal. And Joe never really wanted to have a mercenary existence, but that's what she's been forced to do with so little options as a woman to make money in any other way. So she has to, money has to be the aim of her mercenary existence, and she has to live against her nature to just be a creator. She ends up having to do some things for money, uh, Just as Amy has to do, she has to marry someone obscenely wealthy, even though she just wants to be a painter and maybe she can make some wealth. Uh, Maybe she wants to make wealth just being a great painter, but that's not an option for women. Next idea is uh, kind of along these lines is just the idea of a few options for women to make their own way in the world, making marriage the most important, even over their pursuit of their interests. And Greta Gerwig really uses Aunt March to get this across. And and she does, a, Gerwig does a really good job in using characters to get certain themes across specifically. Like almost every line of dialogue, certain characters have their really, she's painting, she's furthering some form of an idea. So Aunt March, she uses this character get to get across the idea of marriage as being paramount for women since they have, uh, few options for making their own way in the world, and A and Meg Gerwig really uses her for getting across the idea that we talked about last episode of complex desires in a woman, and and. Amy how or excuse me Meg how she ironically falls in love with the penniless tutor despite wanting money all her life and showing these complex desires that a woman doesn't only need to have one desire doesn't only need to want love doesn't only need to want marriage doesn't only need to want one specific thing and as a matter of fact they can even want money their whole lives but marry uh, a broke tutor so she. Gerwig uses these characters for different things, but let's talk about Aunt March now. Aunt March says to Amy at one point, she says, You should go home. You shouldn't go home, excuse me, until you and Fred Vaughn are properly engaged. Amy says, Yes, and until I've completed all my painting lessons, of course, right? Aunt March looks at her, momentarily confused, and says, What? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So Aunt March, she has these archaic ideas that actually are not so archaic for her time though she's actually quite the realist in her time that the only fruitful destiny for a woman is to be married that's the unfortunate reality of the day so she's trying to ingrain inside of amy that you must marry well that this is the main thing you have to do in your life marry well she almost forgets about amy's painting lessons so these are the idea is that Aunt March is getting across, that marriage is the only option for a woman in this day and age. So Aunt March also says to Amy, you are your family's hope now. Beth is sick, Joe is a lost cause, and I hear Meg has her head turned by a penniless tutor. It'll be up to you to support them all. So again, the same idea. And Aunt March, she really isn't to be blamed for these ideas. She is just going based on how the world works. She's a realist, as I've said, but it is kind of about marrying well and and not following your ambitious pursuits as a woman, no matter how talented you are. And Aunt March is constantly trying to... She's used in the movie, I should say, to constantly convey this idea that... show the difficulty for women, especially in the 19th century, of... Being forced to marry well, and and being forced to make that your primary goal rather than following your talents. On March, she also says similar things to Joe. She says, "You mind yourself, dearie. One day he'll need me." Joe says, "Thank you, on March, but I intend to make my own way in the world." On March says, "No one makes their own way, not really. Least of all women. You'll need to marry well." Joe says. You're not married, Aunt March. But Aunt March says, because I was rich and I made sure to keep my money. Joe says, but there are precious few ways for women to make money. Aunt March says, that's not true. You could run a cat house or go on the stage. Practically the same thing. Other than that, you're right. Precious few ways for a woman. That's why you should heed me. And later after Joe shares another opinion, Aunt March says, well, you're not paid to think uh, this paid to think is almost as though she's saying it, though she's just saying it to Joe in the movie. It almost is like, it represents this situation for women at the time in general. Like you don't have opportunities in intellectual domains. You're not going to be paid to think men might, they might have opportunities that in those intellectual domains, but as a woman, you're not paid to think that's the way it is. That's the difficulty for women. And it's just this whole conversation, it's, it's still getting across that idea of marriage as a synonym for a good life for a woman. And that's what Aunt March is trying to get across to her grandchildren, but they don't, they don't fully listen, really. Um, Mr. Dashwood also uh, is used to convey this idea he, when he says to Joe, make the sh- story short and spicy. If the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end or dead, either way. So again, in real life and in literature, the idea that women aren't meant, uh, if they're not meant for marriage, they're meant for nothing. This was the idea of the time and this is what women were facing. Marriage is all important for these women. So many ideas in this movie and to kind of counter, because it's one thing for a movie to talk about these things, but you also have to have the ideas on the other end and how is this movie, counteracting a a lot of these negative uh ideas that are conveyed in the movie well one thing the movie does this movie has been called by some reviewers is the feminist version of little women um for better or for worse i don't fully understand that comment, but it does have these feminist ideas i guess and one of these is it, it really puts women at the forefront and it puts man as the observer through a lot of the movie there's one kind of cool scene where the man is actually the observer to the writer in the attic who is Joe first Laurie, he's looking up at Joe in her childhood home and he sees her back in Massachusetts and then later uh, Friedrich looks up at her in the attic in New York and then Joe's writing and and man is like looking at the woman the woman who is in the forefront it's the woman's talents who are in the forefront the man is just, can only just watch, and he look at the way he looks up. They look up at the woman almost, and this is really cool how uh, Gerwig does this, or perhaps the cinematographers. Women can be the central figures in their own lives, and they it can be their work that defines them. Is kind of what the movie's saying, rather than their relationship to a man. It doesn't need to be all about. I don't, as a woman, I don't need to be defined by who I marry or my relationship to a man, I can uh, be the central figure in my own life and men can observe me and watch my talents. Also, when Lori helps Joe bring Meg home after Meg hurts her ankle, he can only stand and observe Marmee and all of the daughters. He's kind of in the doorway like, should I come in? What is this? And it isn't actually until a very long while of, of waiting and and of, caring, of the family caring for Meg, that Marmee finally invites Laurie to come in. So it, the little women kind of go about their business uh, with the man as the observer. And kind of just in the background, Laurie as the man is not the central figure like in most movies, but merely an observer to the beautiful chaos that is the group of little women. I think I heard in an interview... <sighs> uh, Greta Gerwig kind of talking about how as a like the male gaze or something like that as a as a male director you look at movies in a certain way and you kind of have a bias to putting men in the center and women as the observer so with a female director she kind of talked about how that can be different and now like you have the idea of putting women at the forefront and that's why it's important to get these different perspectives as directors and putting different perspectives behind the camera because they have a different gaze or perhaps a female gaze that maybe puts women at the center a little more. And that's certainly what Gerwig seemed to be making a point of doing. It it didn't just seem to happen because there are so many examples of it. Um, Also, when all the sisters leave after a visit to Mr. Lawrence's house, Laurie, Mr. Lawrence, and John all just look happily at the joyful women going about their day. Mr. Lawrence, also, he, there's a moment where he's watching and listening Beth. Well, he's not watching. He's listening Beth uh, to Beth play the piano from afar. Her talent is in the forefront. Mr. Lawrence, this rich, powerful man, he's just the observer. These really cool ideas in here. I think the last one here we have, um, and said it is the last one, of the value of a woman's self-determination because it prevents low societal expectations from uh, from limiting personal dreams. It, the idea, These ideas you know, that Gerwig brings to the table kind of put women's will and ambition in the forefront. Another thing to kind of counteract a lot of these um, kind of dreary ideas from *Want* March that do need to be in the movie, but this is kind of... Uh, how Gerwig counteracts it and shows the importance of a woman's will and and self-determination. So at one point, Joe says, and what about your music, Queen Beth? Beth says, I only do that for us. I don't need anyone else to hear it. Amy says, you must not limit yourself. So Amy kind of being the big dreamer she is, she wants to be this famous painter and great painter. um, She's trying to assure Beth that she must not limit herself, especially since it is so easy to do so. Um, as a woman and and feeling as a little woman because of what society says to you and, and does to you, and especially in that day and age. Marmee also says, girls have to go into the world and make up their own minds about things. Uh, later, Beth talking about possibly dying from scarlet fever. She says, it's like the tide going out. It goes out slowly, but it can't be stopped. Joe says, I'll stop it. I've stopped it before. Beth says, we can't stop God's will, but Joe says, God hasn't met my will yet. What Joe wills shall be done. This is kind of funny, but it's it's just conveying that idea. It's putting the, the a woman's will, the power of a woman's will in this movie. Um, Joe also has the quote, the world will never forget Joe March. The idea of a woman's ambition as a pursuit that should be taken seriously. Women are not only destined to marry. Their ambition can be the things that make them never to be forgotten too Dashwood also says to joe he says i'll give you five hundred dollars right now to buy the copyright the right for reprinting sequels the characters for other stories joe says might that be worth something dashwood says well only if it's a success joe says i see it seems like something i would want to own dashwood says doesn't your family need the money more immediately joe says you keep your 500 dollars, and i'll keep the copyright thank you i want to own my own book And this is that the woman's will, self-determination, self-sufficiency. And this is actually what Louisa May Alcott did, the author of Little Women. She, she kept the copyright too. It's the idea of not letting anyone take your creativity away from you, despite what the world does to you. And, and despite the world taking away just about everything from a woman, don't let them, uh, Take your creation and, and don't let them take your sense of creativity. don't let them stomp on your dreams, stomp on your ambitions. At the end of this movie, when Joe does go through with this, she keeps her copyright, she has her book. This is directly from the script. It says, "A man finishes putting Joe's book together, unceremoniously hands it to her and gets to work on the next one. Beth, Meg, Amy, and Joe are shown as very young girls playing in their attic together again, if only in memory or in the book. Jo turns the book over in her hands, touching it like the holy object it is, her inchoate desire made manifest. Jo looks up and sees the future. And this ending has something to do with the importance of telling stories of, of little women. Um, this is kind of the main idea in the, in the whole movie of... of If we can tell, if women can tell these stories of of these little women, maybe they won't be so little anymore. When their stories are finally told for once, rather than being neglected, just like Amy kind of says, maybe if you write about them, they'll become more important. Just because they haven't been written about and, and our stories as little women haven't been written about doesn't mean they're not important. We just need people to write about them. And, and this is what this is all about. And when Jo sees the future, she thinks of these little women down the road who she hopes her book will inspire to follow their desires and to use their talent and ambition to grow into the women they want to become and not to compromise to become the women society wants them to become. And who knows, maybe they'll be the ones holding their own books in time and they'll keep their copyright too. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. We are growing our community through word of mouth. Uh, so if you like this episode, please just let one or two people know about it. You can also rate, review, like, comment, subscribe, and follow. These are the digital things that probably uh, fall on deaf ears by now, but they do help with the discovery algorithms. But whatever you guys do to support, I just always appreciate you listening in and tuning into the Insightful Thinkers podcast. We will be back next Monday, as always, for more in depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody. This podcast is a production of Insightful Thinkers Media.